All right, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity podcast. Uh, today, I am joined with Hope Carr, the educational manager from the Austin Zoo. Hope, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so thankful that you're here. We're getting so many great guests on. Uh, we've got some wildlife rehabilitation folks coming on next week, and Peppy Myers, who does goat uh, stuff down at the uh, Fitzhugh Road Jester King Brewery and <gasps> so many cool folks. So just I want to say thank you first for being here and telling us all about the Austin Zoo. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm so excited. <laughs> Good. Um, so we always uh, do these chats in the formal style of we just want to know about you and what it is that specifically uh, sparks your interest and your passions and what inspires you to do what it is that you do. So tell us about yourself. Who are you? Um yeah, it's such a big question. It um, is. <laughs> um, so I think if you asked like my mom, she would tell you I've been very into animals and conservation since I was like itty bitty since like before I could remember. So um, I moved around a, a bit uh, growing up and I was always asked if I was a military brat because I always lived in like big military base areas, but my dad was just an accountant. <laughs> so nothing too exciting, but I did live in like San Diego for like six years growing up and how that, old were you when you did that I was like two to eight when I lived there nice. so like very impressionable and my family had passes to like SeaWorld and San Diego Zoo yeah. so that um you know captured my imagination pretty young I lived in uh Dallas Texas Jacksonville Florida and Raleigh areas for a little bit growing up too um and I think all my family is pretty into animals and conservation to some extent. Like we all like doing zoo days when we're all together on those rare occasions. Um, but for me, it just became like everything. Like I just wanted to learn and absorb like everything I could. And I was always watching like Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter um, and Jeff Corwin. Those are still like my idols. And I think they're part of the reason I wanted to go down like the education route because that was what Steve Irwin's big thing was, was just like making the world aware of, um, you know, why animals are important and inspiring people to do what they can to protect them. So, yeah. Did you ever watch uh, Marty Stouffer's Wild America? I did not. I've never uh, even heard the, of that. That's <laughs> the one I grew up on. That's the old school one oh. where it's just him and his brother and his wife and they would go out and I think she and, you know, he would do all the editing and everything, but the brother was like the main guy who'd go out to the woods and film this miraculous that's footage cool. of mountain lions chasing down <gasps> goats on the mountain. And it was just amazing that's to get, so and they always had these cute little themes like, you know, ring-tailed rascals and it was about ring-tails and raccoons that's and so uh, cool. kawadis and different things, but it was always North America. And I think that was the one that inspired me the most beyond those other nature shows because they would always try to go to other places. And I was like, well, I don't know. My statistically chances of going to those other places very mm -hmm. low but I do want to be able to travel North America because that's easily accessible mm -hmm. to me so that, I think that's why Marty was big um, for me growing up and it was also my grandparents who raised me a lot so those were the nature shows they had but yeah it's so good to know that TV as detrimental as it can <laughs> be still inspires some so, so growing up what, what was school like did you with, with this passion that you have mm -hmm. now was it obviously present growing up like yes like I was like journaling and researching field guides and trying to study nature were you just all about it or was it something that once you got into this vocation you were like okay now I need to know more I think that I mean I was always very studious growing up to begin with like 
and and very conscientious about my studies, particularly when it came to um, biology or any like, you know, animal study I was doing. Um, I remember like taking notes at zoos and stuff like that, or just like actually taking the time to read the signs. I know now that I work in this vocation that people rarely read signs thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and then um, yeah, I, I think that I got more studious kind of as I got into like my college career and like getting more into the field and all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's how I was at, I was too. They, um, yeah, I knew I, it was really, really weird. I, I, I was, I was in middle school and they gave us this test and they're like, you're in this colored group. And I was, I think in the blue group and the cool kids that I perceived as cool were like in the red group. They're all like the strong kids and fast kids and all that. And then there was like the green group and they were like savvy with money. And the blue group was educators. And I was like with all the women and I was like, you know, sixth grade. I'm like, God, what? This isn't me. <laughs> but then as I got an opportunity to teach, I began realizing like, whoa, this is, I, I do like this. So that's when my passion for learning all this stuff hardcore have you ever heard of what's called the dunning-kruger effect yeah yeah mm -hmm. so that was me i was like yeah i know everything <laughs> and then i slowly realized i know nothing and now i'm on this slow upward trajectory and so when what college did you go to um i went to brigham young university in utah so cool. um that was a really cool place to learn um more about wildlife conservation um it is kind of funny because when i was growing up i just knew like i wanted to do something with animals it wasn't very specific until like zoo education found me um but and is that what you studied uh, conservation yeah, or zoology my, so my degree is wildlife conservation i nice. started out as like a general biology major i thought um originally that I wanted to be like a wildlife biologist doing field work and the field work's really fun and the lab work is really not fun for me. Ah, okay. <laughs> so that kind of was kind of like what made me assess like what I wanted to do and, um, uh, and all that. But Utah's got a very, very cool, um, like outdoor scene. Um, there's a lot of really cool native wildlife. There's a really diverse array of ecosystems there. So it was a really cool place to, um, dive into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you ever hike any of that continental divide trail? Um, I never did the continental divide. Um, I like to make fun of myself and be like, I used to do such cool stuff. And then I moved to Texas. Oh, <laughs> but I, um, I need to get out more. I did move <laughs> out here. Cool like stuff here. There is, I moved out here right when COVID started. So oh, I don't want to get too much it. hate. Um, but in Utah, I used to be really into, um, like rock climbing and canyoneering and hiking. And I mean, I, I enjoy like still getting outside out here in Texas. Don't get me wrong. But when I'm going on a hike, I'm like, this is kind of like a nature walk and less of like, I'm going to the top of a mountain. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You've been out to Rimer's ranch? Not yet. Not no, yet. that's have on heard, like the Have you heard about it? No? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's good. I was gonna say that's some good climbing out there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you got out of college mm -hmm. and what'd you start doing? So, um, Right before my last semester, my last semester was great. I only took two classes. <laughs> so right before my last semester started, I ended up taking a seasonal job at um, Utah's Hogle Zoo in Salt Lake City. Um, and I was just kind of doing it because it sounded fun. I'd be like, oh, I'd be working hands-on with animals and talking to people about them. That sounds like a fun way to spend my summer. And I just kind of like found my niche doing that. So um, once uh, once that job was over, I kind of decided I wanted to stay in the zoo and aquarium world um so I ended up taking a job at 
uh, Loveland Living Planet Aquarium um, as an outreach educator. So that was a lot of like taking animals into schools um, and talking about conservation. Um, and while I was doing that, I was actually also volunteering on the weekends for like the zookeeper staff um, to figure out if I wanted to go like more zookeeping or staying in education. Um, and the zookeeping was um, really cool in some aspects, but it you don't get to interact with the public as much. And I kind of realized like that's what like kept the spark alive for me was interacting with people with yeah. animals or utilizing animals to, to talk about conservation and all that cool stuff. So and that's cool. Mm -hmm. What kind of animals did you bring into those classrooms? Um, so nothing too crazy. Um, uh, so it was a lot of reptiles, um, lots of snakes. I'm a big reptile person. So cool. it's kind of cool for me. Um, lots of snakes. We would kind of do like Utah natives for some classes. So we did like different, um, lessons depending on what grade we were going to. So like fourth grade, we taught about wetlands and we would talk about like native wetlands to Utah and what roles wetlands play and why we should protect those areas. And then second grade, we talked a lot about rainforests. So that was more like exotic, um, wildlife. So, um, we would use um, parrots as well. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with parrots. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, and then lots of different types of, like, lizards. And um, we didn't use, like, too many mammals. We did use, um, like, six, uh, sorry, southern three-banded armadillos, which are really cute. Um, those here in hedgehogs. Texas? No, those are going to be native to, um, if I remember right, they're more like Brazil area. That's what I so thought, South America. South. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We just yeah. have the nine-banded. Yeah, they're really yeah. cute, too. The uh, three-bandeds are a little bit smaller, and they're the only species that can roll into a complete the ball. full ball, mm -hmm. right. Super cute. It's Still like little puzzle pieces. a lot of people who think that the nine-banded can do that. I know. I'm I like, nope, they just run into holes. <laughs> no, <laughs> they just they run do. away from everything. I'm like, I'm gone. I'm really big on myth-busting stuff like that. Oh, good. Let's do that on this podcast. I love myth-busting. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. His parents and kids are going to learn a lot. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, possums, yes. Rattlesnakes can bite them and they won't die. Yes. Oh, <laughs> so my gosh. So shocking. A lot of people don't know that. I would love to get an education opossum for the zoo. That's like on the bucket list. I have like a wish list <laughs> yeah. of animals. I'm like, if the rescue opportunity arises... I need this. <laughs> I There was a meme a long time ago. I think I saw it on Facebook. It was ranting about like possums just don't get enough credit. And I've always felt that my whole yeah. life. Like, you know, our dogs and cats and even weird other animals like rabbits would always like interact with the possums. And the possum yeah. to me was just always like, it's just a chill nomadic mammal. Like it just yeah. wanders aimlessly. It doesn't really have a spot that it wants to be all the time. Yeah. Like unless the, the babies are there, but even then they can kind of divert. And I, if you look behind me here, there's this thing that says <laughs> um, gentle orca. That's oh, like, that's so like my, <laughs> my nature name. But before that nature name, I was always known as rocket possum. And uh, I love possums. That is probably my, are so cool. they're like the ultimate survivalist next to coyotes. Yeah. I feel also, I don't get why people don't think they're cute. I think they're, they're adorable. Super cute. They're super cute. They're way cute. They can be like dark and peppery and they can yeah. be white and they can be all these blends. Well, and like kind of derpy looking. <laughs> I, I love those little beady eyes and they don't really look like they have pupil. They're cute. Possums they're are way awesome. cute. And they eat lots of ticks, people. So Yeah, that's a lot of, the, the, the fire ants mm -hmm. and the possums, I always do I give a look. I hate fire ants. It's like too, the one animal I think I have a true hatred for. I think everybody does. They <laughs> are probably the number one uh, barrier to kids getting outside, I feel. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe the number one. Maybe heat's the first one. But fire ants, man, people have a hate. They're terrible. What's that What's that Dawson's Creek guy? He Did you see oh that video gosh. of him? He, he's like ranting about 
<laughs> fire ant. Well, uh, forget his name. I actually, I actually, he actually came to Natureversity for some time. Oh, that's um, cool. I forget his name. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there are so many reasons that people don't get outside. But you have found how, what is what is the adjustments been so far um, for Texas? Like how I yeah, know Utah's hot, so you probably had that under control. Yeah. But. Um. You know what's kind of funny is before I moved out here for the job, you know, you do your pros and cons list. At least I do. I like to write stuff down and like assess everything. And, uh, a, a big pro for me was, Oh, I'm going to get away from these terrible winters out here. And both the winters I've lived out here that we've had those big freezes. Whoa. <laughs> um, but here it's different cause they don't have like the infrastructure to handle it. Not like Utah does. So I, I would be driving to work in those ice storms. Like this is not cool, man. No. <laughs> moved out here to get away from this. Um, the heat, wasn't uh too bad um um and i i grew up kind of all over so adjusting to like temperature and humidity is not like too big of a deal for me um culturally it was nice to kind of be back in the south because i grew up mostly in like north carolina and florida um so utah was a little bit weird (laughs) (laughs) i moved back out here and i was like ah yes my people (laughs) Mm, (laughs) sweet tea yes (laughs) sweet tea (laughs) Oh what my is it gosh. about Utah? They're like, what? I, I asked for, I was, I was like, can I have some tea? And they like brought me this little plate and a cup and some, a bag. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what is this? They're like, yes, for 10. I was like, oh, they're like, you I must be from Texas. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sorry. They're like, we'll go get you some ice. And um, they didn't have any man. made. Well, uh, a real quick tangent here. I'm curious. Cause you said it. What was the zoo like when that snowpocalypse hit? Um, we got really really lucky because we did not lose power um, yes which is very important so most of the animals already have access to an indoor area we don't force them onto exhibit if they don't want to be and their their indoor dens are typically what we call them and they're temperature controlled and we can like shut doors so they can stay in there and kind of insulate a little bit better um so thankfully um we didn't have to worry about um temperature control some animals naturally are going to handle it better like mountain lions they're going to be fine. Oh, I bet our, they were happy. Yeah. Our white tiger was stoked. She was oh, like out my like rolling around in goodness. it. Um, our Adorable. parrots, we all had to move inside. They're normally in these outdoor <laughs> aviaries and they've got like nest boxes with infrared lamps, but they were displeased <laughs> as most of us were. So they actually all lived in my education classroom for like a week. Um, oh. It was a mess in there. <laughs> um, I like walked That's in so one morning. Funny. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, it was very loud. Um, so they were a little, they were a little, uh, displeased, but we've got, um, like lots of like extra enclosures and stuff in the back that we were able to move up and make sure that they were safe and inside. Um, the other big pain during that, uh, storm was we, um, our, our, our well system that we run on, um, a lot of the pikes pipes broke and burst. So there were leaks all over different buildings. Um, and we had to bring in water from, outside the zoo so it was like shuttling in water every day and i don't know if anyone's thought about this but uh you use a lot of water in a zoo (laughs) you got to use it for cleaning and everyone obviously needs access to clean drinking water um so yeah i was a little nuts um and how long did that persist how long did you have to bust that water in um i want to say it was like a week we also used like blankets and stuff a lot so we couldn't do laundry so catching up on laundry that week uh lots of little things people don't really think about that weren't like the biggest deal in the world like we were just grateful that we had heating (laughs) for our animals but yeah so many things to think about so for those of you who are listening uh don't know what we're talking about when we say snowpocalypse (laughs) uh last year in february of 2021 there was a 
major, I don't know what it was, was vortex. Like they, they said it was yeah. a vortex or something that came through Austin and the central mm-hmm. Texas area. Actually, all of Texas almost because I think Big it was Ben bad. got. Santa, yeah, uh, the whole area really. Yeah. So I think, I, I could totally be making this up, but I think somebody sent me a photo of Monahan's Texas covered in snow, and I thought that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. This is like a giant sand dune in the middle of oh, the West Texas, cool. kind of, you know, a little north of, northwest of uh, Del Rio area. And I was like, what? I was like, just imagine sliding down those sand hills on trash can lids now. Imagine, oh man, I'm just always so thinking cool. like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so the animals did well, but were were there any like, severe like oh no or were y'all pretty like we have volunteers we have staff like everything's it's a little hindrance but not major I think I think really the biggest hindrance outside of the shuttling and water was um like I have I had the advantage of one I know how to drive in snow and ice (laughs) because I lived in Utah for seven years or whatever um but and I have a, a Subaru so my little Subi can handle the um, the snow and the ice pretty well, but a lot of the staff like haven't lived in an environment where vortexes like that have <laughs> occurred. Um, and some of them had like their cars couldn't handle it. So we ended up being pretty short staffed for that week. Cause sometimes people were like, I cannot get out of my driveway I right bet. now. Um, so we kind of were running on a uh, low manpower, but we made it happen. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you got out of college, just getting off our tangent now and oh, going yeah. back. We, uh, you got out of college, you went, started working at a zoo there in Utah. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what was, what brought you to Austin? Yeah. Um, I guess my biggest comment is like networking is a powerful thing. Like yeah. work hard where you go and make a good impression and Agreed. it can take you pretty cool places. So I had actually stepped away from the zoo and aquarium world. Uh, I took, uh, a job actually at a humane society for a couple of years, which was good for me, but how depressing. Don't even want to go down that tangent. That really? Just sad. Yeah. I worked in the admissions department. So it was like taking <sighs> animals in from All the public. Day. Yeah. Um, my wow. last little bit there, I was like an animal <laughs> care supervisor. So that was a little bit nicer. Um, do you think people stay in those positions long? You know, I know people that have worked at that shelter for several years, but I always, I had friends that while I worked there were like, oh, I saw you have a job opening. Like, I'd love to apply. Can you put in a good word for me? And I would be like, do you have the mental fortitude? Fortitude fortitude is a perfect word. Fortitude to handle this. Like, this is not going to be snuggling kittens and puppies all day. Like, you're doing good work but you're going to see some things that might like traumatize you a little bit. And, uh, you know, so there were some people that would, you'd, you'd learn pretty quick, pretty much if you stuck it out for like a year, you'd kind of realize those were the people that could, could handle it. And like nothing against people that can't like that shows how like gentle hearted you are, you know, it's not a bad thing. So I was going to say, I don't think that's one, like a barrier want to build up is being callous to, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is okay, but I understand also to, the necessity. Yeah, it's it, it was an interesting um, route. I'm like actually glad I kind of stepped away for a little oh, bit. I'm like sure, got perspective yeah. in that world. And I got my dog and my cat through there. So like I can't complain too much. Um, Same with our two kitties. Oh my gosh. I love cats. I will tell you like. They'd be in here if I let them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gigi I'll hang Chloe. out with your cats. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is the door needs to close. That's okay. Other distractions. Um, cats are cats though. Like it's funny. I will watch my cat at home and then go to work at the zoo and be watching like a 400 pound lion doing the same thing. Yeah. And I'm like, cats are cats, man. We, these yeah. are just tiny tigers that live That's, in our house. <laughs> I was, ju- I was, no, I'm not kidding. Like five minutes before you got here, uh, my girlfriend showed me this video of a, a tiger, no lion, lioness playing tug of war 
with this bigger gentleman and they were, you know, just pulling the rope. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look at that dude is a beast. And that tiger, the moment he loses stability, all she does is turn her neck. I was like, imagine if she engaged that whole body. That dude would go flying. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, our cats are the same thing. Mm-hmm. They just, yeah. and you can't, you you know, like you can tell a dog, all right, don't kill this little kitty. And they're like, okay, all right. I don't, I don't, I don't not want to do that, but okay, I won't. But you can't tell a cat to not kill a gerbil no, or something. I it's, actually, like, it's, it's instinctual. I, I need to, to remember what this video is called and who did it and send it to you if I find it. But uh, there's this dude that did a, a, a funny but educational video on uh, dogs versus cats as far as domestication goes. Mm-hmm. And his argument was cats are not fully domesticated. Dogs no. are. And that's the difference between them. And that's why cats are tiny tigers that yep. live in your house. Like it's still very much a wild animal. Like you could let, this isn't true of every cat. Don't do this people. But like most cats, if they end up outside, like they'll survive. Like oh, they're yeah. survivalists. Yeah. You know, a Agreed. dog, my dog would just be like, I don't know what to do yeah. or how to find food. I'm just going to go find the nearest person. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, they definitely have that instinct to just maim and kill. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I would think about it like this. Like I'm like, you know, when you play your cats sometimes and they're like, yeah, don't pet me there. And they bite you. I'm like, just imagine <laughs> if you're petting your tiger and they're like, yeah, don't do it. And you're just like, that tooth is a good two inches. It's yeah. It's going to lacerate you pretty yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so oh like, my gosh. Potentially, I and mean, then then those like little, you know, the people always say those are love bites. I'm like, oh, is it? No, <laughs> man. I don't know. I think the cats say no pet me there. Yeah, uh, they're warning signs. Anyway, that was another tangent. Um, yeah, you you're leaving the you know rehabilitation. I'm sorry. The it was a humane, humane society. Center, yeah, yeah, in Utah. Um, and I uh, a previous uh like mentor at the aquarium had uh moved down here to be the director of animal care at the zoo and when the education manager job opened he uh called me up and he was like hey you've been wanting to get back into the like the zoo world right and I was like yes oh my gosh I'm ready it's time uh and he recommended me for the education manager position so that weekend I had flown down here this was February 2020 flew down here to interview and got the job offer and moved down here um month later right uh when COVID had started so. bam <laughs> right I mean one month before yeah oh wow. my gosh and then moving down here I was, I was I just had like my Subaru loaded up my dog and shotgun and I was like man I hope like state borders don't close on me while I'm driving down here wow. by myself man I forget that that was like a real thing people were considering <laughs> yeah we were like they were scared man yeah it was crazy how did how did the zoo do during that um, like with just in general, like participation, did y'all do the online content thing or films? Yeah. Um, so we were closed for two and a half months. So we were actually closed wow. like when I started, <laughs> which was not what I had expected, of obviously. Course. Um, so we, we did do like some little like short educational videos we put up on our, um, on our Facebook. We did get a lot of very like generous, uh, donations while we were closed. We put up like little, you know, little fundraisers on Facebook and stuff like that. Cause that was the scariest part was like, how are we going to get funding to right. pay our staff and, um, uh, take care of our animals. Obviously. Are y'all a nonprofit? We are. Yeah. yeah. So we're, um, uh, we're a nonprofit, um, and we don't get any government funding. So it's all pretty much like admissions and education sure. programs and gift shop sales. And we do like, um, fundraisers every year and, um, we'll get, we'll do grants and stuff sometimes. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a nonprofit. So it gets a little scary when you're in a, a situation like sure. that, <laughs> especially when you moved from out of state. <laughs> yeah. And so were like just the protocols around like, you know, 
the care for the animals, nothing really changed. It was just you couldn't have the clientele and the participants who would frequent the zoo there. So as, it's kind of interesting you asked that, because as um, COVID progressed, uh, it was quickly learned that there are animal species that are susceptible to COVID. So as soon as we uh, learned about that, our vet implemented um, uh, some extra protocols, safety protocols for working with those animals so that we wouldn't, you know, unintentionally transmit uh, a disease to them. So, um, big cats are a big one. Primates, obviously. Um, there's a very obscure group of mammals called viverids, which is like genets, civets, and binturongs. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. They're all susceptible. Um, mustelids, so ferrets and weasel things family. Like, yeah. Weasel yeah. family. Yeah. There you go. Um, so all those animals, it was like gloves when you're handling in 95 on, even when we reopened, we had like extra, um, like fencing barriers up to just give the animals a little bit more space from the public. Um, cause as I'm sure, you know, you can get pretty close to the big cats yeah. <laughs> at the zoo with oh, the yeah. way the barrier <laughs> fence and the, um, enclosures are set up. Um, so there was that. And we actually recently got our, um, animals, all their second um, COVID-19 dose vaccination. So all of our susceptible animals are now vaccinated. So we've been able to kind of slowly like, uh, lessen up on some of those protocols. So, um, I work with domestic ferrets in the education department. Um, and I, I could take them on walks like before we were open during COVID with all my like PPE on. Um, and now I can start showing them inside again. We're still going to be wearing PPE just to be safe and not having the public touch them, but I, I'm like slowly starting to be able to use them more. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It just affected the whole entire world. Oh my gosh, it did. (laughs) Ripple effects that I I still like, for instance, that right there, like I, I had no idea. Yeah. And and I'm I'm sure most of the public don't know Mm -hmm. those types of ripple effects too. Yeah. And what it caused as far as just, but I also feel like it, it did so many other things that I just, I have to do the silver lining thing, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, we, we had this, they closed us down too the city parks and all that stuff because that's what we mainly utilize and the kids were like what do we do and I I was like I don't know but one of the moms came to me and she's like hey check out this club and I was like whoa and for a long time I've always felt like incorporating this karate slash boy scout slash survival super survival thing into um uh you know opportunity for kids to learn and what it what we did was we filmed videos and we gave them weekly missions and as they did weekly missions they got these brochures with sticker books and all Mm -hmm. these different things and they'd pull the stickers off to say Mm -hmm. they completed it once they did the 10 missions and the rank they'd rank Mm -hmm. up and so instead of getting belts like in karate they got these headbands and so we call it the bushcraft adventure club and you can sign up for it now but it was an opportunity for me to create something that now like there's kids in like Melbourne, Australia and like, yeah, like Belgium and all these different places who are participating in this thing. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I did not set any of this up for any of you. This is all like (laughs) North American stuff, but the, you know, feedback has been, no, it still works kind of where, you know, there's a whole section in there for parents and Mm -hmm. just ways to connect. So I'm glad that there were all these opportunities for hopefully in some instances for the zoo to like Mm -hmm redefine not necessarily redefine but like Mm -hmm. refine protocol and figure out what are can we do to alleviate some of the stress and so were anything like obviously you got there right when it all Mm -hmm. started and i'm curious like were anything's major that they told you like man this really either helped us or we could cut this i'm curious about those things um 
I mean, as far as like my department goes, um, it definitely made me kind of have to be more creative and adapt. Like obviously yeah. we were closed. And even when we reopened, like I did summer camps on like most people like didn't want us in their kid to camp, which I totally understood. And we had COVID protocols in place and all that fun stuff. Um, but I, I ended up doing a lot of like virtual programs, which yeah, normally people okay, like want to cool. see like animals in person, but you know, during COVID you need to take what you can get kind yeah, of a thing. Of course. <laughs> um, so I did, um, I, I kind of like tailored our, I want, I wanted to personalize stuff as much as possible. So like, um, a lot of, um, other zoological facilities kind of made like pre-scripted, like pre-made virtual programs, which like from what I understand have been really successful. Um, but for me, especially since it's a smaller facility and a smaller department compared to, you know, like San Antonio Zoo or something. Um, I, I, I would just kind of tailor it. Like if someone reached out about a virtual program, I was like, what do you want to learn about? What do you, what cool. animals do you want to see? Like, let's customize make this it. happen. Yeah, yeah. Let's customize it. So I pretty much customized like everything. I was like, is there a certain subject matter you want to do? Um, so, and I did everything from like, like an individual family just being like, we need to do something. We're going stir crazy. So just like one family on a screen and me on the other, um, to, I, I did like corporate events for people that were trying to do something fun for their staff that were all yeah. working at home. Um, shout out to Google. You guys were awesome. awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, as school got back in, I did a lot of those too, which was really fun. Um, and I, I, it was hard for me too. Cause I, I kind of vibe off the, the energy you get from being in person with someone yeah. and like seeing like someone's like eyes light up when they're touching an animal they've never met before. And I'm like, how am I supposed to, to do this like through technology? But you know, people still seemed to really enjoy it. And I, I kind of got better at it as I went along, you know, my first couple virtual programs, I was like, this was not good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened to me when I began teaching. I was like, I do not like kids. I don't want to work with kids. But I remembered that test that I talked about earlier. And I was like, maybe I can do this. And then I started really getting into it. Like, this is fun to create opportunities mm. for anyone, even adults, uh, to just learn something that you're really excited mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And I think that's all it takes is to have a passion for animals or caring for them or sharing about the uniqueness of them for other people to be like, Dude, that is really cool because you're just mm -hmm. so enthralled by it because I'm like, look at this plant. <laughs> you can paint this berry, this pokeweed berry on your face and you can stain baskets and you can do this medicinal stuff with it and eat it in one time of year when it's growing up. But <laughs> it's so fun to just share that with people because now I think that they walk differently through the world they understand like there's so many layers to things and one of the most beautiful perceptions that I've ever heard is uh, a friend of mine who makes documentaries about you know indigenous traditional communities around the world he said you know one time he was interviewing some folks in Africa and they said when a child's born you know to the you know, close environment around them, they have these little micro threads and they're real tiny. But as they develop these relationships with the plants and the animals and the rocks and the water and all that, these threads as they grow up become these unbreakable chains. And that to them was like a definition of connection. So I was wow. like, wow, that is true. And so I want to start early mm -hmm. with children to say, you have got to... I'm not saying you got to be connected, <laughs> but like, you know, maybe I should say that because there's going to come a time where if you don't have empathy, you know, like things are going to go bad. Like you might not yeah. 
to, I don't know, you could hurt somebody or hurt a, a situation or a, anything. So mm-hmm. I want to just constantly stem, hey, you know, this is a unique way to approach connecting to nature. And um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> no, that's, wow. Um, I, I, I feel like I used to not enjoy working with kids either as much as I do now. Um, and I kind of learned that like, as I started, it was the outreach education, uh, for the aquarium I worked at that I was like, Oh, like, this is actually really cool. Like, you know, kids are kids and sometimes there are behaviors that you're less equipped to deal with. And that's just the reality for any educator. Um, but I think what I loved, um, when I was doing that outreach education was like, if a kid took the time to come up to me after a program ended and like pick my brain about something or like come up and tell me a story, like I just like, thrived on that and um one of my favorite times of year but also the most stressful time of year at the zoo is summer camp um and we're pretty much like back to normal numbers and and all that at this point which is good but uh you know just seeing kids get so excited about meeting animals and learning we give them like notebooks at the beginning of every week and like I'll have kids come up to me at the end of the week and be like I filled it up with all my notes and I'm like yes awesome um and I I think the moment that touched me the most so far this summer um was I was facilitating a discussion with a group of nine to 12 year olds about rainforest conservation and for me like I don't really like to be doom and gloom as far as conservation discussion goes. Like that will depress anyone regardless of your age really quick. Um, And I always like to keep it like, let's talk about the issues that are happening, but now what can you do to help? Like what little actions can you take in your life every day that are going to help? And I had like 10 year old kids like giving me like these awesome ideas or elaborating on points I made that were just like excited to grow up and help. And I was like, this is the next generation. This is awesome. So <laughs> passing, passing on the torch. Yeah, for sure. Um, the pro, what, I was curious, you said uh, y'all do summer camps. What, what do those look like? Um, yeah, so we do um, different themes throughout the summer that are designed for different um, age groups. So, um, uh, it, and it's a full day camp. It's like a drop off, drop the kid off in the morning, pick them up in the afternoon, it's, uh, 930 to four. And if, depending on the theme will kind of dictate, um, you know, what certain activities are, but ultimately no matter what camp the uh, child is signed up for, they're going to be meeting animals up close in the classroom. They're going to attend keeper chats. They're going to like build enrichment to give to our animals. So for example, our creature care camp this summer, they made um, paper mache balloons to give to the primates. So the keeper met us and put like the primates diets in there. And then the kids got to watch their paper mache get destroyed by a capuchin, (laughs) 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 which is pretty cool. Um, That is cool. Yeah. I've also been uh, this year, uh, every week of camp has done a dissection, which has been um, popular with most of the kids. Some of the kids have not, you know, ever dissected a sea star before. And it can be a little bit intense to learn about that, but that's been a cool, um, science activity for them to do um a sea star what's a sea star uh, a starfish for ah. the uh, colloquial phrase yes <laughs> like, oh my gosh like that's the little... world's tiniest sea star look Isn't at it, it. <laughs> I, I think i got slapped on the wrist too many times for saying uh starfish oh so really sea star is like burned into my brain it's all those um animal uh i've never heard anybody classes. call it a sea star like yeah. in i guess because i only work with kids and they are not obviously understanding the scientific vernacular all the yeah. time but yeah starfish 
Yeah. yeah. No. So you got to dissect starfish. Yeah. So we had kids dissect sea stars. They're doing um, squids this week and next week. This week and next week are our last two weeks of camp. It's if I built a zoo. So they're like designing their oh, own neat. zoo, which is pretty cool. I love that. Um, yeah. They did earthworms earlier in the summer. Have and you then, dissected all those? Oh, yeah. I took really? a really cool class in college. Um, I I hate to brag, but uh, no I, was, I was the... Uh, the curve breaker in that class oh. in college. So all the other kids hated me because I ruined their curve um, with my nice exam scores. Don't be ashamed of that. Um, no, I'm loud and proud. Good, good. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, that course, it was animal diversity um, and it was two semesters. And the first semester you did invertebrates and then you did talked about vertebrates the second semester. And the lab every week was a different dissection. Nice. What yeah. is unique about a squid? Like when you were pulling it apart and looking at it, was there anything? Like, do they have beaks? Is that what they're called? Yeah, so beaks? they have the like beaks, little... um, uh, which is cool to see. Like you hear about that as a kid, mm-hmm. but when you're actually dissecting it and you find it, because it, it doesn't like protrude that much. No. Like you kind of have to do the dissection and then yeah. it's like, like people say beak, but like you don't expect it to look like a beak. It just straight up looks almost like a bird like beak, a bird beak like or a, like, like a, a crab claw almost. It's wow, crazy. Wow, interesting. Um, How does food come up in there? Like do they use the tentacles as almost like an octopus would? Yeah, so they've got um, like their their tentacles, but then they've also got like arms that are specifically adapted to like grab food and okay. bring it up to like, their beak. Uh, like pedipalps on a, yeah. um, what you call it, tarantula. Yeah, pretty um, much the same uh, okay. Same idea. And then the ink sack's really cool too. Yeah. yeah That's that, really cool. Man. And, and ca- is the production on that like a, they just, and then they it's instantly back or can they, does that take a little while? Do you know? Um, like the rejuvenation of the ink. Oh, that's a good, like how long does it take to yeah, like refill? Like fill, fill. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have no idea. I wonder. That's you a know, good question. I've never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend. Uh, hopefully he'll come on the podcast as soon as his Dr. Cord Offerman, and he's like a herpetologist veterinarian, and I want to know the same thing about rattlesnakes. Like, is it? Can that they... was literally the question that just came to ah, my head. See? I was thinking like, oh, what about snake venom? Yeah, if, as I've been talking to you this whole time, every time you're telling stories, I'm like, wow, that's just like me. That's just like when you're talking about moving around all mm-hmm. the time. I did that too. But I, oh, but yeah. my mom was in the Army. I was, or my, sorry, my mom's father, my grandfather was in the Army, but... I, uh, she, you know, I didn't move around cause of the army, but I did live millions of places like the Carolinas and Georgia and Florida yeah. and Texas and Florida's my and, home. Yeah. Florida's yeah. like, if I, if I end up back there, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. But yeah, yeah. The, the, um, little flaps that are on the top of a squid, can they mm. control those? Do you know? Yeah. So those are that, like, um, it's like they're steering, right? Yeah. They propel forward that mm-hmm. way. I've always wondered if they're just like flappy and they don't have any you know, an anatomical. <laughs> yeah, well, I would imagine that you would use it to steer, like as you yeah, propel so, forward. Um, but what's the propulsionary mechanism for them? How? What is their animal locomotion? Are they pulling those tentacles up and pushing back, or is it flaps that are around protecting the beak? So it's yeah, it's mostly those flaps on top of their. Head is not the right word. I know. It's the word I'm going to use. Right. It's yeah. like I, on the tip of my tongue. I can't but. think of what it's called either. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Um, so, yeah, they'll use that. Um, and then they, it kind of depends on how fast they're trying to move. Like, if they're just trying to, like, stay in the water column, like, the flaps kind of help them, like, um, either stay where they are or get, like, a little proportional. But if they're trying to, like, get away from something, then the musculature around, like, their legs is going to be more of what they're using so they can, like, 
push away Got and then have it. the ink come out at the same time. So the ones you're dissecting, are they like the same ones you would eat at like a restaurant or something? Or are these specific types that are different? Um, I think there's like, I mean, I, I know that uh, some people first would, I order all my stuff on Carolina because they're great. Um, but you can also just go to like, yeah, like a seafood market and do like a squid dissection. At okay. Home. That's, That's what cool. um, a lot of people will do. Um, you should do a but, video on that. Yeah. Go to this, go to the store, buy your own sea squid. And then do the dissection and at Hope home. is going to teach you how <laughs> to dissect this thing at home. That's a good yes, one. I, think. Oh I, would, my gosh. I would follow along with that. Yes. Oh my gosh. So cool. Um, I'm curious about if you know anything about giant squids. Um, not too much. I'll be, I'll be real. I'm, I'm more of a terrestrial animal yeah. kind of person. I'm into my, uh, Land dwellers and uh, mammals for sure. My land dwellers, yeah. um, birds are cool too, but I'm definitely a terrestrial person, so I don't want to embarrass myself too much. N- no, <laughs> you're fine. I'm just so curious about all animals, and I'm like, oh, yeah. she brought up squids. I was like, I'm about to dive into this because yeah. they're so f- spectacular. When I was in, where was I in Washington D.C.? I think I was at the Smithsonian, and they had an example of like a giant squid in there. And the oh, tentacles cool. just went on and on and on. I was like, They're dude, crazy. this is, I, I thought it was big and mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was that big. It was pretty yeah. remarkable. Um, anyway, yeah. I, <laughs> Though I there's like, like some animals you like don't have a healthy respect for their size until you're like right next to them. Like yeah. I remember the aquarium I worked at um, in our, uh, in the ocean explorer uh, part of the aquarium, there was a, a life-size model of a leatherback sea turtle. Yeah. Those will go They're over a, a thousand pounds, like yeah. easily. And Monsters. like, I remember seeing that and being like, oh my gosh. Like, it's like, the like you can hear that number and it's Subaru nothing size. until you see it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> They're monsters. We got to do a release of those Kemp's Ridley in green down at South Padre National oh Seashore. God. And it was really fun to just see the little babies and all that. We had to like wave these flags. And keep I think the I would cry. Away. Did you cry? <laughs> I was, I was actually trying, like, I'm y'all going to laugh at me. I was trying to like capture their little animal tracks in the sand as they oh, race to the gosh. water. Like that's all I wanted. It was documenting, documenting the um, sea turtle thing. My friend oh, Philip was writing a book at the time and oh, cool. I was collecting photos and, um, it was just a fun expose, you know, experience to see little baby turtles uh, get released into oh the water. Gosh. Some of them were so kind of, they're like, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> You're like, go. You gotta leave. Yeah, you got to go. <laughs> get out of here. A crab or a seagull so, going to grab you. <laughs> I, I love those opportunities to get to see nature on its terms, like in that, yeah. you know, but I obviously those seagulls would have been snatching those things up left and right if there's real nature. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was cool. And, so I'm curious now about uh, just going back to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of uh, like opportunities do y'all have at the zoo? Like where, like with people listening to this who live in Austin, want to mm-hmm. come out and help. Like what? How can mm-hmm. they get involved? Yeah. So I know that um, there's been like a couple of um, like local businesses that have come out to do like a volunteer project for a day, and that's always super cool for us. Um, there are also like regular volunteer opportunities people can can do. If you go on our website, uh, there's a tab that says get involved. And there's like a little application to become a volunteer with the um, volunteership. You work a lot with like the goats and llamas and alpacas and stuff like that. That's awesome. Um, I just like to remind people like when you're coming to a, a, a zoo to volunteer again, it's like working hard and keeping the animals in mind and um, and all that good stuff. I am hoping um, this year, this coming 
uh, spring and summer. I'm already thinking about next summer. That's yeah, where my head's course. at. Me too. Um, <laughs> so summer camp directors. I right? know, right? Oh my gosh. It's like you finish camp and then you're like, all right, next year. Here we go. <laughs> um, so I am hoping to open up like a role for education docents. So people to, um, volunteer in my department and be trained on like how to go talk to guests about the animals um and bring out like biofacts like skulls and pelts for people to to touch so that's something I'm hoping to get launched um if you're just wanting to come out and enjoy the zoo in like kind of a unique way um we do capybara and galapagos tortoise encounters where you get to go in their enclosure and feed them and that's something my department facilitates um can the little kids ride the tortoises um we don't have them ride them but you can (laughs) Tortoises, sorry, I, I feel, just, no, my mom said that she I used know. to be able to ride the ones at San Diego's. We've got some um, friends who have a bunch in their house and the kids have pictures of them riding on them. And it's are really they sulcatas? Uh, they're brown and leathery looking and they got like bulbousy kind of things. They're just, they just hang out in the front yard. That's it's really cool. neat. They got to be sulcatas. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll pull up my phone. I'll show you pictures. Okay, of them. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get... Um, the Cappy Bar Encounters are really, really cool. Um, those are booking out like a couple months in advance at this point. I don't know what happened, but the world all became obsessed with Cappy yeah. Bars at the same time. Oh, the kids talk about them all the time. Yeah. They're, they're the world's biggest rodent. They're so cool. Um, but you guys need to come give my Galapagos tortoises some love because we don't book nearly as many uh, tortoise encounters. Did y'all hear that, everybody? Um, yeah, Get come see the tortoises, please. They want snacks too. Yeah. So like the encounters. Celery and carrots and all that stuff. So, what do they eat? So the. Um, for the public encounters with the capybaras and the Galapagos tortoises, you're normally feeding out like romaine lettuce because um, they love it and it's easy to feed out nice. as opposed to like little vegetable chunks. You might get your fingers not off oh, in that, that process. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> we got to do something like safe for the for the public and high value for the animal as well. So um, you get to feed them. Um, you do get to touch the animals as well with the capybaras. Cappies are um, really skittish by nature. They're like a very um, good prey item in South America. So they've got a lot to worry about down there. There's jaguars and caimans and anacondas and pumas and all kinds of scary stuff. Um, so even when they're habituated to people, um, they're like kind of skittish. So like we've got one Olivia that's like the most comfortable with being touched. And then Enrique sometimes is like, don't touch me, just feed me. Mm. Um, so it kind of depends. Um, but the tortoises, they don't have any natural predators in the wild once they're adults. So they're just a really chill vibe and you can, um, like rub their necks and they'll go into what's called a, a finch response, um, which is really cool. If you haven't heard of that before, you should look up videos of it or come to the zoo and do a tortoise encounter. Um, so if you rub their neck in the in the wild, they have a, a mutualistic relationship with finches. So finches will um, like clean up parasites on them and stuff like that, um, oh, which gives the bird a response. meal. Yeah, it gives the bird a meal. It gives the the tortoise what I like to call car wash. So instinctually, when they feel that rubbing on their neck, they'll stretch up really tall and freeze like a statue. Ah, to and, make sure they get everything. Mm-hmm. So and it's They're like a reflex. Clean. Like wow. they. They'll just, and they'll just freeze for a minute. And I've had guests that, you know, did a a tortoise encounter before and like, they obviously wanted to do it. Like they booked it, but they, I, I remember specifically there was a family doing it and, um, the dad was like. I did not think this was going to be this cool. Like I did not have enough respect for this. And I'm like, they're really cool. Like they have definitely more, uh, personality than, than people want to give them credit for at first. So yeah, yeah, they're really cool. Um, I love that feedback when we had a wildlife tracking thing we did 
for people and this teenager really wanted to sign up and mom was like, eh, I don't know about that. And she was like, all right, what can I go just to the first one to see it? And mm-hmm. I was like, sure. And uh, she went and was like, this is pretty cool. Like, yeah. I can't believe that wildlife tracking is this exciting. Like, I yeah. didn't think I'd be this into figuring out what scratched this or what mm-hmm. dug this or what pooped that. She's <laughs> like, but this is so intriguing. And it's lighting she, that spark. Like, yeah. I don't she ended up signing up it. for the program with her son. That's so they cool. Went, took him to Big yes. Bend and love just, that. yeah, it's I really love, cool. I love getting to have that feedback. Um, so we have, in addition to the some of the volunteer opportunities and the programs that people mm-hmm. can coordinate with you, uh, we have a homeschool fair that y'all are hosting coming up soon. Yeah, so that's Tell us about that. Um, that is going to be Friday, uh, September 23rd. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, if you register in advance, um, there's going to be like discounted uh, uh, tickets. Um, so keep your eye out for that. Registration should be up by the end of this month. Um, and with that, we're going to have different um, community partners at different tables kind of scattered throughout the zoo, all doing different like hands-on interactive activities and kind of showcasing what they can offer homeschool families. Um and this year I've got 19 community um, partners, including you, Yay! coming Nature on diversity. September 23rd. And We're it'll so be excited. super fun. I had a lot. Of, it, last year was my first time like facilitating that and coordinating that. Um, and I had so much fun that day. Yeah. You might have uh, stopped by our table then. I think I did. Yeah. yeah I we probably were the ones that, that all the weird crafts built from No, y'all's table is like and... my favorite. Like oh, you guys yay. put your tent up and I was like, this is what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Yeah. No. Uh, and I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off making sure like everyone had what they needed Mm -hmm. and then everything was going smoothly so I felt bad I was trying to like network and touch base with everyone but I was also like fuck need to go like one million places right now so you can always just skip us because we bring everything (laughs) we have everything we're always good this is like our fourth or fifth year I think 2020 was the only year we didn't do it because y'all didn't host it 2020 we didn't do it yeah Um, I had not even seen what that event looked like before so in 2021 when uh the executive director was like all right we're doing homeschool day again I was like I'll see what I can find in the files in my (laughs) office and we'll make it happen but it actually turned out to be really good last year and I anticipate this year will kind of be uh bigger and better since their COVID restrictions are just you know pretty much non-existent in Texas anymore so um yeah I think I think that it'll be a good a good time for sure I'm still so focused on summer camp once I get through summer camp I'm when do y'all summer camp end uh next Friday okay yeah ours next next Friday yeah yeah Right 10 weeks, school starts. 10 weeks of camp. <laughs> That's what ours is too. 10 weeks. Yeah. See, we're fortunate because we have that big giant Colorado river next mm-hmm. to us. And so I'm like, that's what all the parents care about is they're like, how are you keeping these kids cool? And yeah. I'm like, man, we have a giant river that is always flowing. That's <laughs> it's so nice. So refreshing. So it's kind of like, it's not swim. It's more like this is a cool spot to hang out. And there yeah. just happens to be water and shade and what's, the kids get What's in. the bug situation? What do you mean? There are a lot of, lot of mosquitoes bugging No. Guys? No? Oh, no, because nice. the river flows. Oh, it's, like it's not down, stagnant. Um, or like people that. call it Secret Peach. <clears throat> cool. If you've ever been over there, oh, you're going to love it. I need to do yeah, that. Yeah, we got to. I'll have to introduce you to all my staff and... Yeah, they are all your that. age and they would love to show you around Austin. And yes. they're just super nature nerds like you. Awesome. They're all like ex West Cave. I need to find my people out and, here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I'm having you on. I was so happy that Mark got you to commit to this. And I was like, yes, we got yes. you. So we've got a homeschool fair coming up and yeah, I'm just curious about <clears throat> what exactly 
what's like the what would you say is the most unique animal that y'all have at the zoo? So I guess it depends on if you mean like who has the most unique story or like the most obscure. Oh, okay. Animal. So let's back up a minute. Tell us about how these animals get there. Yeah. So I yeah I guess I haven't really mentioned this yet. We've had too much fun just kind of uh, going. We're gonna keep doing um, this. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm here all day. It's fine. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, we're primarily a rescue facility. So um, our mission is a little bit different from um, like many other zoos people have visited before. I kind of like to remind people before they attend, like don't be expecting something big and flashy. Like we're a not government funded nonprofit um, rescue. Yeah. Um, so just remember that that's what you're supporting when you're coming out to visit. Um, Which is better than a for-profit yeah, zoo. So Do those exist? Is that a thing? Yeah. Zoos so this... This is a whole tangent for me. Let's go. Let's go. Because I'm, I'm sure the listeners are going to be so, like, okay, here we go. And, and I time. feel the the cool thing is, is I feel like um, Netflix's lovely Tiger King kind of brought more of this ah, to light. Didn't it though? So, it did. Did you watch it, that? I did. Um, <laughs> and it, wild ride. I know people that work in my field that are like, I refuse to watch it. And I'm like, wow, I kind okay. of recommend you do just because it's insightful and can give you ways to talk about conservation and um, reputable versus non-reputable yeah. organizations, right? So, um, yeah, I never recommend anyone visit a for-profit zoo because most of those are going to be, like, backyard zoos, like, uh, oh, side of the so road. So the Tiger King was a for-profit, yeah, and the Lady so, in Florida is mm-hmm. a for-profit. Okay. Um, so the Lady in Florida, Carol Baskin, I can't even say her name without that dumb, like, remix song coming into my head. I always forget her name, Carol, I can't, Carol Baskin. Yeah, um, and she, so hers is a sanctuary, but there's... There's a whole uh, side. I remember the whole volunteer thing being very uh, yeah, eyebrow raising. Skeptical at best. Yeah. Um, so, and, and a lot of those for-profit places will also um, masquerade under what is now commonly called greenwashing. So they'll say like, oh, we're breeding tigers, so we're helping with conservation. But there's a big difference between breeding cubs for yep. um, hands-on Con- interactions versus yeah. breeding under a species survival plan, which looks at the genetics and considers the future of reintroduction. So I remember that story of uh, Lakshmi. Yes. The little baby tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I will say I never recommend visiting any facility that allows you to interact with any um, cubs um, because a lot of times that's indicative that the animal husbandry is poor at best. Wow. Um, Even in countries that are like South America, Central America, because they love a lot of those like Black Panther yeah, things. I, intera- you think pretty it's much any any accredited organization is not going to Got allow it. that. Um, it's it's a way to, to make a buck. And a lot of times, um, especially when you're over in, in Asia, if you're, and, and this also happens in Africa and places like that with lions, um, if you are at a facility that is allowing you to interact with cubs, once that cub ages out, they will either slaughter it and sell parts wow. to medicine, uh, or like traditional medicine trades, or they'll do canned hunting for it. Um, for, What's for canned trophy. hunting? Canned hunting is like um, letting letting an animal go for someone that pays an exorbitant amount of money to, to hunt it in a contained area. Got it. And then the person can take like the pelt and, and stuff like that. So um, a lot of cub pet, petting places, that's something that might end up happening to the animal when it's aged out. Um, 
And yeah, I, I guess what I recommend people look for is, is the organization accredited or not? And depending on what country you're in, we'll kind of dictate that. Um, the two facilities I worked at before were accredited by the association of zoos and aquariums. That's going to be a lot of like the bigger city zoos you see like San Antonio zoo. I love them. Um, Fort Worth, Dallas, San Diego zoo, all those are AZA accredited. Um, and pretty much much what that means is they're adhering to the highest standards of animal care. Um, they've got really um, in-depth enrichment and training programs for their animals. They have to be actually helping with conservation. A lot of them, when you're paying your your admission ticket, a, a percentage of that is actually going to conservation partners in different countries that are doing like boots on the ground kind of wow. kind of work. Um, and uh, then there's also the ZAA, which is Zoological Association of America, which is what we're accredited by. Um, one reason we don't have AZA accreditation is since we're a rescue, we're less focused on breeding programs. So that's another thing AZA facilities are involved in is species survival plans and reputable or responsible breeding. Um, and we're pretty much here just to be a rescue for animals that need it. Um, so, um, yeah, a lot of our animals used to be pets that were like willingly surrendered. Um, Texas has very loose laws as far as like pet ownership goes. Um, and so a lot of them were like purchased legally and then the people were like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't have a capuchin monkey in my house or a parrot is a lot. Um, and parrots are a lot. <laughs> um, uh, so that's how we got a lot of those guys. Um, we do have some that were, um, wildlife rescues. So, um, our great horned owl was uh, a wildlife injury that was not deemed, um, she couldn't be re rehabilitated. Um, and our, all of our cougars and our black bears were all orphaned as cubs, um, and deemed non-releasable, um, with, with, when you're talking about cats, they're normally with their mom for like 18 months to two years to like learn all the skills to survive. And sure. all of ours were well under that, um, when they were orphaned. So, um, yeah, and then and we have. Are oh, these or, no, no, you're okay. Are these orphanages like natural orphanages? Like perhaps mom got killed and you know cubs were found, or is it like orphanages of, you know, uh, somebody owned this and then it was the oh, cub? Oh, yeah. So um, we do have some that we think were probably like hand raised and then released, kind of a thing. Like um, there's a couple of our foxes that were deemed like imprinted on people, so it's possible that like someone like an individual found them orphaned and then like what does imprinted mean or can you elaborate yeah so imprinted means like um they're looking towards instead of mom if they're imprinted on humans um they're not looking towards like their actual mom for food and protection they're looking at people so if you take Got an it. animal from its mom too young and it's you know just being around people then it's gonna look to people so for, for that you think a lot of those like Instagram videos where people have like pet foxes and they're acting <laughs> all cute and snuggly, those are probably imprinted wildlife. Yeah, so some of them, I know that foxes, this could be a whole nother tangent, man. Just keep um, going. You're yeah. doing great. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could do this all day. I just I don't want to bore you. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? Look what I do for a living. Are you kidding? This is like my bread and butter just hanging yeah. out with nature nerds. This yes. Um, so with, with foxes, um, sometimes you'll see those videos and people, here's my problem with people posting these sure. videos. Here's Hope's rant about that. Um, so when a lot of times when you're looking at like Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever, you're not taking the time to like read the, the description or like who posted it. Right. It's just like, Oh my gosh, look at this cute fox. Cute, and, yeah. um, then you want a fox as a pet. Um, when in reality, if you look at some of those, it's like a sanctuary or something, um, where they were previous pets or they were part of that, the domestication projects and Got stuff it. like that. So, um, just kind of pay attention to what you're liking and sharing. Um, 
I, I work with a fox and he was a previous pet and he, um, is an animal. Like I, I have the knowledge to take care of some of these animals I work with. And I know I never want one as a pet. I never want a fox. Love working with them. I work with parrots. I love them. I never want them in my house. Like, um, is it a gray or a red? The fox? Um, so he's a uh, silver. So he's the same species as a red fox. He's vulpus right. vulpus, but yeah. he's melanistic. Got it. Um, and we have a couple of those at the zoo. We have three red foxes at the zoo, and we have a gray fox. Mm-hmm. Um, I think oftentimes silver foxes are called that, but they look very black. Yeah, it's kind of it's that there there are kind of like interesting discoveries that have been made, like as the domestication projects have gone on, particularly in Russia. Is like there's these certain traits that kind of come along with more tame behavior. Whoa. Um, yeah, you should look into that if you haven't. Yeah, you know, like... Just it's been going on since like the 50s or something like that. Talking about fur, I didn't know that Siamese cats change to brown as they mm-hmm. get cold or hot or so, something like that. Like I was learning that, like as they, if they live in certain region, oh. they can be, as they grow up, they can be different colors. I haven't heard about that. And I was like, I what is that true? That. And I'm sure that could be perhaps, I don't want to say a dimorphism, but uh-huh. um, a unique attribute of animals living in, you know, different yeah. areas. obviously there's like um, ermines and they turn mm-hmm. white and, you know, the winter and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. And then they go back and or like Arctic foxes. Yeah. And, stuff and like the snowshoe that. hair yeah, and all yeah. that. But it, that makes sense to me. But like, because an animal's cold, it's fur darkened. I like, haven't heard of it. Gotta be I'm a, skeptical. I've got to look that up. Let's look it up. I want to look Let's it up. Let's look it up. Um, uh, but yeah, what other kind of, uh, you said, so you take care of a fox. It's a silver fox and parrots or what are some other animals? You know what I see a lot of is people uh, have like pet ocelots. Yeah, I see servals a lot too. Yeah, um, like the savannah I'm, cats and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom's old friend had one of those and I would never forget, I was like eight. And this dude came over and I like knew about the cat and Uh the dude came over, didn't know it was there and like walked around the corner. And he's like, like, there's this wild animal in here. Threw (laughs) his stuff into the air and like jumped back five feet. Yeah. You weren't expecting that. You see like a serval or something. Servals are tall too. Their neck is so, mm -hmm. there's gotta be an adaptation. Like you look at that and you're like, that's a wild animal. You know what it it is? It reminds me of is down in, um, you know, like St. Croix and the Virgin Islands and things. They have a mongoose and mongoose have these really interesting necks that you know, like mm-hmm. perk up and they and then they go back down. And I wonder if that's what the adaptation is in the savannas, yeah, because yeah, the yeah. grass. But they're really allowed to like get their mm-hmm. neck without exposing all them. I'm like, what is that adaptation? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Servals are very like their their body is definitely like different differently built than yeah. like other cats you think of. Yeah, because there's that <clears> tall grass that they've got to be able to like see over, but also like crouch under. Right. Um, and then in uh, South, you know, Texas, not really. We don't get them too often. Uh, we have the Jagarundi. But then a little yeah, bit into cool. Central Mexico, you get those uh, margays. And margays mm-hmm. are designed to live in these trees. So their body shape is even more bizarre in like a stout kind of like There's like a very primitive species of a, a cat. cat. It's yeah. like watching the evolutionary like tree when you're looking at certain animals versus others. Like a good example of that too is uh gray foxes so gray foxes are considered to be like more closely related to the common ancestor of like all foxes because they still have retractable claws so a gray fox can like climb a tree right whereas when you're looking at a red fox they can't do that so it's interesting yeah people's minds get blown when i tell them i'm like yeah gray foxes climb trees they're like what What? i'm like yeah right as they're born they can start i'll i was doing a little survival stint in a park down called marymore and here in austin and 
I will never forget my buddy and I, Eric, we had this little gray fox that like lived in the big oak tree. She basically sat in the, you know, the little crotch of the major split of that oak tree and she would just run past us and like leap and like get halfway and just spring up into that thing and then kind of go back and forth and then spin around a few times and she would just boop, plop down. And then early in the morning she'd leap out and run off, but we were camping right near her. And I think she just was like, you know, what's going on down there? Yeah. Like what? But I figured she'd just go to another spot. Like, this tree is do- yeah. not offering you, you know, it's the same thing as maybe the rock over mm. there, but she was consistent Being on coming high, back. Yeah. 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 So that was really interesting. I, I love foxes, too. It's a, a so cool. gray fox Russian-style hat right there on the shelf. Oh, my gosh. Next yeah. to a skunk hat and some... Yeah, uh, I saw those when I came in. Those are cool. Some other weird things that are sitting around <laughs> you. No, I love it. We all need more weird animal artifacts for our home decor. <laughs> yeah. What are some other animals that you've worked with that you're like, oh, no, never again? Um, what mm, Never your, again. What are your thoughts on raccoons? I, I've actually not worked directly with a raccoon before. They're kind of, I think, a wish list animal for me. I'm, I'm do a the, skeptical. Do the raccoons cause you problems at the zoo? Um, so we, we used to have a raccoon named Honey that was um, a wildlife rescue. She unfortunately passed away shortly after I started. She was very, very old. Um, but as for, you mean like wild raccoons? Yeah, like are they in ca- ra- coming in causing problems? Yeah. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I guess I'll say that I've never seen as much native wildlife as I have since I moved to Texas. And like, I, I lived in Utah. I did like the outdoor scene in Utah and like, don't get me wrong. I saw cool stuff pretty close, but like I had never seen a wild tarantula or a wild venomous snake until I moved to Texas. I'd never seen a ring tail cat until I moved to Texas. I love ring. I'm like, I saw them once and I was like, I'm obsessed with these now. Um, so cute. Um, and it's like something that we have to really consider at the zoo is how do we keep, you know, wildlife and our own animals safe. Right. So, um, you know, we do get a lot of wild snakes on grounds. Um, as far as larger things, uh, like miso predators, like raccoons and, and, and things like that. Um, we don't have to worry about them too much. So we actually, this is like a little known fact about the zoo. We actually have, um, livestock guardian dogs that patrol our perimeter fence at night. And it tends to keep out, even their smell kind of keeps out, um, certain animals from digging in under our perimeter fence. Um, so I've, I've actually not seen like a raccoon on grounds ever. I've seen a ringtail cat kind of messing around up by the cougar enclosure. And oh I was like, Oh boy. honey, you need to yeah, that ain't get gonna out go of well there. For you. <laughs> but cougars are good climbers too. So we actually have to have, um, like a, a mesh on top of their enclosure too. If you look at the zoo, um, you kind of have to build enclosure depending on what animal you're housing, right? So like if you look at the lions and the tigers, they're not naturally going to be as good at climbing. So if you look at their enclosure, they've got a really, really tall fence and then it just kind of like bends at the top, right? Yeah. Um, but if you look at the cougars, it's like totally enclosed. enclosed. Okay. Because they're so, good climbers, yeah. Man, I was going to say like, has anything ever gotten inside there that they were like, ooh, look at that, and then waited, and then bam, God. Yeah, and all you were I've like, seen what is, happened? Uh, I don't think I've seen any at um, the, zoo, the uh, Austin Zoo get caught. I have seen the cougars, like, stalking lizards, which is kind of cute, like oh, little Texas spiny yeah. lizards. So cute. Like, it's one again, it's one of those things where it's like, you're doing the same thing my cat does. Like, their pupils dilate, and they're doing, like, the shoulder, like, wiggle and everything, and so cute. Um, do they do that little bark chirp thing you know when birds yeah i've heard i've heard the cougars do that yeah yeah they'll do the kind of like that chirping sound i think that's their closest relative is a domestic cat i think cougar is like because cougars are aren't they the only large cat that purrs yeah so cougars this is a fun animal fact that i love telling people so cougars are not technically classified as a big cat 
they're the fourth largest cat in the world behind uh, tigers, lions, and jaguars, but they're not classified as a big cat. A leopard is classified as a big cat, wow. but a mountain lion's not. They're actually more closely related to what are small cats. Bobcats. So like, uh, yeah, bo- yeah, exactly. Wow. So uh, no, a I cougar is more closely that. related to your house cat than like a tiger is. Yeah. So <laughs> that is so neat to think about. And when you look at them, like I see, I see that it's just like a big house cat. It just looks yeah. like a big house cat. They're, especially mm. when you look at, if you've ever seen like, um, we're getting like the right, but when you're looking at kind of a more like generic looking house cat, like a more wild looking house mm-hmm. cat, like a, like a tabby cat or yeah. something, or like a really muted tabby, it's kind of like, whoa, you almost look like a little wild yes. cougar or something. So. I love those ones that look like little ocelots, but they're just house cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so cute. I've read a lot of stories about people owning ocelots and they say the same thing. Like they're cool, but you know, they're just like a cat. They can, in a moment's time, like extend those claws and mm-hmm. you might be bleeding out. Yeah. And, I, uh, you know, it's... I think my, like, my my two cents working in the field I do and, and being an animal lover and, you know, I worked at a humane society too, so I've kind of seen all sides of exotic and domestic pet ownership. Um, I I feel like people don't do enough research on what breed of dog they get to be uh, going and buying servals and capuchin monkeys and parrots and all that. So, you know, I, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's another soapbox for me. Like statement of the century. That is so the things true. I heard when I worked at the humane society, you know, when people were surrendering dogs was, I was like, what are you doing? Why are you surprised that this husky needs more than two walks a day? <laughs> it's bred to run in the tundra it. all day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just feel like people don't do enough research to begin with. And that being said, like, I'm not a person that's like, you can only have dogs and cats. Like, I am all about you purchasing animals that have been responsibly bred, not captured from the wilds. Um but do your research. And and I think there's just a certain respect for actual wildlife that needs to be mm-hmm. held, right? Like, Yeah, agreed. I think people tend to get animals too much for, like, the aesthetic and the status it brings them and less, less based on, you know, what can I actually care for? What will actually bring something to my life? And what can I bring to this animal's life? Yeah. So... Um, but I feel that connection to my lizards outside and my hummingbirds and yeah, my like cardinals just and my blue jays. And like, I feel mm-hmm. that like they're, but, but I'm not confining them. Right. I don't understand yeah. that like nature. And obviously I have cats, but they're th- th- truthfully, they're my girlfriend's cats, <laughs> but they're mine. <laughs> and so I take care of them. I do love them, but yeah, I, um, I don't know. I want, I think there's something about when we talked about those connections earlier, the mm-hmm. threads, when you learn about them, like blue jays are rascals of birds. Oh, yeah. Like they will like dump their mm-hmm. eggs in other birds' nests and be like, I'm out, yeah. you know, and they'll do some Corvids in things. general, like magpies and crows yeah. and ravens, they're like next level. Oh, they're crazy. Their, their intelligent level is out of this world. And yet when I learn more about them, I, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, you're like a little stinker because you're coming <laughs> flying like you're the sounding of a hawk and just to get the food because all the other birds mm-hmm. are like, ah, hawk, run. And it's like you just <laughs> manipulating everyone. So, but while that thought rests in my head, like there's also this respect of, man, you've found such a creative niche to survive. And like, mm-hmm. what are we all doing on this planet as animals? Like we are finding yeah. our niche to survive. And so it, it, 
I always say like empathetically, you know, speaking to the kids too, who I work with, like it's hard for me to have such harsh and reactive judgments towards what people do because mm-hmm. I always say, man, I might have done that exact, I might've made that exact same choice yeah. if I was placed in that exact same mm-hmm. position or growing up like that or whatever. So, <clears throat> but how can we have these connections with wildlife without going down those roads of, are we supporting some industry that might not be beneficial to anybody, you know, especially most importantly, the animal. Yeah. So yeah, I I love that you went and talked about that. Like do your research about these animals before you obtain them. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, there, there are animals that we have that are rescues that aren't necessarily bad pets. You know, we, all of our reptile building animals were people's pets and I'm a huge reptile nerd. Like I've got a leopard gecko and a corn snake and a bearded dragon at home. Like I'm working at a zoo and then coming home to my own little zoo. So, (laughs) but you know, again, there are some animals that have become really, um, popular, um, that are, you know, legal to own and can be good pets, but people are getting them, you know, for their five-year-old kid that, you know, may not have the, uh, the capacity to care for an animal like that, you know, reptiles are more complicated to care for than what we thought even 20 years ago, you know? So, um, there's, there's just a lot to consider. And then again, like there's some animals to me that I'm like, this should never be someone's pet. If it's not an animal that's been domesticated and, and bred in captivity for that purpose, then, you don't need to have it you know wolf hybrids are a big problem too you know we've got a couple wolf hybrids at the zoo that were that were previous pets and again it's one of those things where you know oh i want it because it looks really cool Mm -hmm. and then it's not acting like a dog you get a wolf hybrid guess what it's not gonna act like golden retriever you know like instinctually it's not there and and i think that there are some things that even if you're raising an animal right and you're giving it the proper diet and everything there are some animals that in your home, you're just not going to be able to instinctually meet the needs of it, you know? So, um, I think the most like sobering story, um, as far as, you know, animals in our care is, um, we rescued a white tiger, like right after I started actually. (laughs) Um, and you know, we, on a more light note, we got asked all the time, like, did she come from the Tiger King facility? Cause it, she, we got her like right after that. She's not from the Tiger King facility, oh, funny. Um, but she, um, was, um, found during a DEA raid on a property down in Mercedes, Texas. So we had the drug enforcement administration contact us saying that they had found her, um, African crested porcupines, king kajus, deer, like a, just a plethora of exotic. Like in a wildlife. house or just in a ranch? Uh, from or? what I understand, it was kind of like a compound situation, wow. just like a big property. Um, and Zulema, the white tiger was being kept in like a, 12 by 15 foot concrete cage she was nine months old at the time she just celebrated her third birthday um uh she was like underweight when we got her she was of course not getting any form of enrichment or anything like that she didn't even really have like the musculature to run around her current enclosure when we first like you know brought her in and she cleared her quarantine and we let her we let her out like she had never probably touched grass before or like been able to rub on like plants before played in water um and i'm sure she was obtained you know when she was like six or eight weeks old you know just like a a little cub for the person to have again for kind of that like aesthetic or status purposes and um you know they're they're animals that just don't no animal deserves to be treated like that i guess is the the moral of the story do your research when we moved you know we're in a new house now and when we moved, we had to put the two cats we have in, you know, back with mom, um, 
McKenna's parents. And when we got him back, Gigi looked like she had just like uh, her hair was falling mm-hmm. out. And she had this eye Aww. infection and like all these things. And I mean, within like f- not even 48 hours, she was like back to the cat self. And I thought about that, like, man, you know, cats, you know, well, just animals in general, like can potentially have the same catastrophic breakdown that we all have, you know, when mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, these animals and and living their lives like it's like Mm -hmm. the same for us you know and it's so Mm -hmm. analogous to just make those connections I feel and like yeah if you don't get the care and all that like Mm -hmm. look at the things that you will do so you're Mm -hmm. talking about like their the home you know Mm -hmm. being that's where they live well it's like look at the teenagers who are like growing up in the internet it's like well their needs aren't being met because the internet is not going to meet your needs like you're looking Mm -hmm. for likes and social status Mm -hmm. and all this stuff like you need to be building these connections so yeah if you are you know under the impression that you can provide this wild creature Mm -hmm. a a proper habitat inside your home like it's probably not going to happen unless it's something that is reptilian or Mm -hmm. you know invertebrate or something but man trying to be like yeah let's have this pet raccoon or this pet fox or something (laughs) just like i don't know yeah again take it from me i work with these animals and they're great if you are that passionate about exotics check out like volunteering at like a wildlife rehab center or something like that get involved in another way that's not contributing to to some of these pet trades. Cause uh, another thing to look into is just like where'd the animal come from. Right? right. So, um, that's so cool. You have a white tiger. She's so pretty. I bet. Yeah. Um, another thing I like to tell people is if you're going to come visit the zoo right now, it's been so darn hot. Um, yeah. How do they come, fare out there? Um, pretty good. Again, they've kind of got indoor areas they can retreat okay. to. Um, so they've, they've got access to air conditioning and stuff like that. And a lot of times in the afternoon, the animals want to just be resting inside. Um, so the best time to see big cats at any zoo is going to be uh, the morning. So our facility come like right at 930. If you want to check out one of the other cool zoos in Texas, go right when you open. Because a lot of animals by nature too um, are crepuscular. There's yeah. everyone's fun vocab word for the mm-hmm. day. Um, so they're naturally going to be more active in the morning and the evening when it's cooler and the light's lower. And much like us, they don't want to be out walking around in the heat of the day, they want to be conserving their energy. So, um, yeah, she's really cool. Yeah. She's beautiful. Um, so yeah, that's all. I'm sure this has been my favorite question that I've been waiting for is like, what is, and I know you've only been there a couple of years, but I just want to know, have you heard stories? What is the, like the craziest thing that has happened at the zoo so, with the animals? Look, I think the craziest thing for, for me is like, uh, what people do oh oh good good yes let's do that one i want that one so like we have a really strict like no tolerance policy people people i love people but man they just people think about what you're doing sometimes i know why are you what are you thinking you know first of all you're coming to a rescue facility some of these animals have had traumatic experiences with with people some of them were treated really well before they came to us some of them weren't but it's also just coming to a facility and having respect for the wildlife that you're getting to see up close right and we have a very strict like zero tolerance policy when it comes to like animal harassment like i will kick you out if i see you harassing an animal and i have had to do that three times in two and a half years i've had to like escort people out because they were taunting zulema the white tiger or our male lions and how are they taunting so um you know like i don't mind if people are like trying to like calmly talk to an animal or interact with it but 
it's like people will like be waving their arms or yelling at an animal or like blatantly saying disrespectful stuff um, uh, and misbehaving. And sometimes people will be harassing other guests too. So, you know, most people that come are like really supportive of our mission and what we're doing. Like I generally love the guests that we get, but sometimes people make questionable decisions for sure. Um, And I, I'm not afraid. Like, I'm not a very big person, <laughs> but like, I've escorted a group of like college age dudes off grounds before and been like, yeah. come on. And then, you know, if you don't leave, I will call the cops because you can't be doing this. You can't yeah. be harassing other guests and animals and stuff like that. So, um, no one's ever tried to climb in there or do anything crazy. Oh, like we've that. had people like cross barrier fences before. Thankfully, not by like the big cats. Um, but I've had people, this has happened a couple of times where people have crossed a barrier. Um, where like the birds are and like wanted to put their fingers in an aviary. And I'm Oof. like, dude, Just be careful, man. That macaw's going to take your finger off yeah. if you're not careful. Like- um, and, and it's kind of interesting that people make the decisions they do. Cause I always see these really like harrowing stories of people crossing barrier fences or going indoors at zoos. And, and the sad thing is a lot of time the animal suffers from it. There was a zoo in Florida recently that, a, a outside contractor after hours crossed a, I don't know if you saw this video. Um, there's like body cam footage from the, from the police and a dude crossed a barrier and tried to pet the tiger oh, through no. the fencing. And oh, no. you can imagine how that ended. But and it's like a drop, right? Doesn't he do you slide down into that? Is So it was, it was like a, it was kind of set up like ours almost where there's like that barrier fence. And then if you it, climb over that, then you're just like directly on oh, like a, got a metal it. fencing okay. kind of so a thing. So it's not like that drop. No, it wasn't like, like a moat or anything. Yeah. Um, and all I can oh, think of God. is just like, did he get injured? Resp- oh, he did. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, the tiger ended up passing away because to get the tiger off his arm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm, the cop had to unfortunately put it down. Wow. Um, and that's, a, uh, I don't remember exactly what subspecies of tiger it was, but all tigers are endangered. So an endangered animal that was probably part of a species survival plan had to die because of a stupid decision. That's right. A person made. <laughs> all so, needless. Yeah. yeah uh, to- that, totally needless to loss. That guy didn't need to lose pretty much lose his arm, yeah. you know? Wow. Um, I'm hoping that he faces charges for that. I'm a very empathetic person, but like, come on, people. No, I, listen, <laughs> I mean, there are, you know, when you do things as a child growing up, your parents correct it. Right. You know, yeah. and like the, it's real simple when your older brother or younger sister or whoever is around you or maybe no one's around you, you're an only kid. But, you know, when corrective actions take place, you know, it's like you should be considerate to now correct the behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that that's, you know, too much to ask right. here well, for you to not, uh, hey, we're going to make an example out of you, buddy. You can't do this stuff. Right. Okay? Yeah. So, yeah, that's terrible. But at the same time, I get it. Like, man... Yeah, thankfully we've had nothing nothing too crazy. And, you know, sometimes, like, I try to be empathetic to people. Like, if there's, like, a person, like, there there may be a family, like, speaking another language that, like, can't read the sign. And they just see, with, with the birds in front of the aviaries, it's just, like, a rope, you know? Yeah. So, it's a barrier, but it's really easy to cross. So, like, with them, it's not like, I'm going to kick you out for doing that. Like, when you just didn't understand, like, hey, like, make sure that we're not crossing barrier fences. And then they understand it's not a sure. problem. So, like, it's not like every person is like, I'm going to cross barriers and not listen to anything you say. And, um, but yeah, it's something to, that you have to be aware of in this field is like public safety and animal safety. So it's kind of always in the back of my mind. I always like asking people their, their crazy moments of their jobs, like paramedics. And I would just imagine, yeah, that, the yeah. things that y'all have seen out there. We've seen some stuff. (laughs) It's like, Oh Lord, what happened? Um, yeah, the, so 
we talked about the wild encounters. I wanted to ask about that. I'm trying to think of some other things. Um, or the people who feed them. Mm-hmm. Is it like a, how does that work? Like, like the like, zookeeper staff? Yeah. Like what, you know, do they just toss food in or is it like put on oh, a stick? Yeah, or, yeah. That's a good alligators? question. I'm just curious. We do. We have three American alligators. Um, nice. And we actually do um, like uh, training feeding sessions with them uh, while we're open uh, during the summer. Their metabolism tends to go really, really low in the winter, so they don't tend to eat very much. But in the summer, um, like three days a week, the keepers will do like a feeding and training session oh, you get cool. to see, which is really cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, it, it, it ultimately depends on what animal you're working with. So some animals we work with through what's um, commonly known in the field is free contact. So free contact means like you can go in with the animal. Um, so with those animals, you know, you... Um, we, we try to avoid just giving an animal like a normal bowl with food in it because sure. um, that's not particularly stimulating. Sure. Um, so we may do um, like feeding them during a training session in with them. Um, we may put the food in like a food puzzle of some kind. Um, so, or, or maybe even just like a food scatter. So they have to forage for it a little bit more. We want to make it somewhat uh, interesting for them. Um, giving novel food items is a good form of enrichment too, like something they don't get very often. So sometimes we give, um, uh, foxes are omnivores, right? So yeah. um, their diet at the zoo is very varied. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes we'll give them instead of like, meat we try to give them a wide variety of meat in their diet but sometimes instead of meat we'll give them like a whole like rat or mouse not live but like kind of those frozen ones that you get for like snakes and stuff in captivity um and the fox that i work with he'll like throw it around and be playing with it like a cat almost you know so um that's kind of cool when we're working with um certain and uh, um, other animals that are larger carnivores, we're going to be working with them through what's called protected contact. So that means that's an animal that we never, ever, ever go in without some kind of barrier. So um, with the big cats, um, they all do training sessions with their keepers regularly where a keeper's just standing on the outside of the enclosure fence and then the food's kind of like on a stick and they can put it in through that when yeah. an animal's done the correct behavior. Um, when I say training too, this is another good tangent. Um I know back in the day, you know, zoos were more like entertainment purposes and less for conservation education. Um, and same with circuses and those animals were trained to do what are called like tricks, you know, like sure, it wasn't like, yeah. wasn't really anything. Barman Bailey stuff. Yeah. And it was more like, it wasn't positive reinforcement training. It was very, um, positive punishment. Yeah. Or I'm going to apply pain to you, if you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, with our animals, all the training's done through positive reinforcement. So all it is, is if you do the right behavior, you get food, just like the way most of us train our dog at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or our kids or our kids. <laughs> <laughs> my dogs are my kids. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So with, with animals in reputable zoos, uh, now they're doing positive reinforcement training with those animals. And most of the time it's some type of husbandry behavior, right? So it's like training them to open their mouth so we can examine their, their mouth, their teeth, make sure everything looks healthy. They might be trained to present a paw so they can make sure there's nothing going on. You might train them to stand up on their hind legs. Um, uh, so you can assess if there's any like abrasions or anything that needs treatment. Um, uh, and most of our big cats now will actually take voluntary um, blood draws or vaccinations. So we don't need to sedate them for like basic veterinary procedures, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, with those animals, we'll feed them um, either that way during a training session. Um, one other thing we like to do sometimes, especially on a big cat's birthday, is we'll shift the animal inside and then zookeeper staff will go out and like maybe hang up like a whole like chicken 
um, or uh, deer legs sometimes, um, which is really cool. And that way the animal has to like climb and jump and like use their muscles and get some like physical and mental uh, exercise to to eat. So it kind of depends on the day, but we try to keep it varied. Yeah. Much, yeah. That's neat that you can use, like I'm sure, hopefully that places like <clears throat> Hudson's meat market and all mm-hmm. them, you know, those, all those deer legs, like, well, what are you doing with it yeah. all? And all the trimmings from turkeys or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm sure hopefully that comes to y'all in, in some form. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm just curious what, uh, yeah. What, like, so where are y'all located? What are the costs? Um, what times are you open? So give us the, yeah, we'll we'll start closing this up and we'll give us the, the spiel. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're, um, located, um, it's technically like unincorporated Travis County. It's kind of the Southwestern side. So we're right off of, um, like circle drive. So it's almost like you're going out towards dripping Springs area kind of. Um, so we're not like downtown Austin. Um, and then as far as tickets go, it's 1695 for adults and 1395 for kids. Um, and just going towards a nonprofit, yeah, um, helping, helping the pay zoo. the staff and help the zoo and yep. feed the animals and get them better enrichment items and all that fun stuff. Um, and these are passionate people who want to, yeah, be we want to talk to you too. A lot yeah. of their lives to get to the point where they're at. Like if you have so, a question or like are interested in something or just want to say thank you, like stop the staff members, especially the, the zookeepers are working really hard. Their boots on the ground, like yeah. running around all day outside and a hundred degrees. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So for thank sure. you to all of y'all. Yeah, they're great. Um, well, this has been a lot of fun. Yes. Oh my gosh. So and happy I came. <laughs> good. Yeah. And and so the plan is to do this again, and you know, mm-hmm. six months, a year down the road, I want to get a steady, consistent group of guests who just come on and tell us what news going on out mm-hmm. there, um, what programs y'all have developed, what everything. So Hope, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, anytime. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you next time. Awesome. See you, Chris. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>